0: steps up, will try and run, to pick it up, he's got a touchdown!
1: Welcome to Liberal Arts Sports Talk. Sports talk in the last place you would expect it. My name is Mac Liederman, contributing editor for the Miscellany News, and I'm back alongside my two favorite professors who I've agreed to do this again, Professor Alex Kupfer and Professor Justin Patch. Thank you guys for coming out for another episode.
2: Thanks for having me, Mac.
1: So we have a tremendously fun topic for today's episode. The total dumpster fire that is the New York Knicks has some new fuel onto the flames, And um, I think I'm just going to play the clip and let it speak for itself. This comes from the top.
2: He says, Mr. Lee, you have to leave Madison Square Garden. They wanted me to leave the garden, walk outside out the 33rd Street. Employers where I came from, walk outside and come back on 31st Street. Hmm. And I said, I'm not doing that. First of all. You scan my ticket. You can't scan a ticket twice. Also, I know that once you leave a sporting arena event, you can't come back in. So I don't trust these guys, so I'm not going for the okie doke
1: I think you get the point from that. Spike Lee, longtime Knicks fan, front row courtside staple at Madison Square Garden, was told after getting on the elevator through his usual entrance that he would no longer be able to go through the employee entrance, had to walk all the way around into the... Um, vip section entrance or the general admission exits a huge entire controversy for spike a really unfortunate situation that he would have to you know leave and walk another 30 feet somewhere else to get into the game so some pettiness kind of going around everywhere here james dolan you know back on this thing you know being kind of kind of ostracizing you know some of his biggest fans we remember the charles oakley incident just a year ago and just this kind of goes to show kind of you know the extreme mismanagement of the New York Knicks following the incident of Spike um, not being allowed in the arena. Spike went out and said that he was being harassed by James Dolan and plans on not going to any more Knicks games for the rest of the year. In response, the Knicks, through their official PR page, put out this statement. The idea that Spike Lee is a victim because we have repeatedly asked him to not use our employee entrance, instead use a dedicated VIP entrance, which is used by every other celebrity who enters the garden, is laughable. That is the word laughable in an official New York Knicks statement. It's disappointing that Spike would create this false controversy to perpetuate drama. He's welcome to come to the garden any time via the VIP or general entrance, just not through our employee entrance, which is what he and Jim agreed to last night when they shook hands. And to in fact prove that they had indeed shook hands, guess what the official Nick's PR account did? Is they put up a blurry photo of Spike Lee and James Dolan, in fact shaking hands at halftime of the said game of the incidents, alongside a official photo of the employee entrance in which Spike Lee is no longer allowed to enter through so pettiness all around i think is how i'll sum it up but you know guys what do you you think about what's going on here
2: only a team as (laughs) bad as the knicks would have a headline about something that just does not matter at all (laughs) like this is such an irrelevant story like it looks both of these guys come out looking bad jim dolan comes out looking bad spike lee comes out looking bad but you know who else is bad? The New York Knicks. Yeah. Right? And 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 if they were even <laughs> a 500 team, nobody would care about this. If they had one highlight a night on Sport Center, nobody would care about this. Oh. Like it's just the whole thing is awful. The Knicks I mean,
1: Knicks are currently just for some context, they're currently in 13th place in the East at a 19 and 43 record.
0: Out of how many teams?
1: Uh Fifteen.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I mean the most amazing thing is that, you know, Spike Lee is complaining about walking two blocks, not two avenues, two blocks, and not being able to use her sort of the employee entrance, only has to use the VIP entrance. But he still comes out looking better than Dolan. It's amazing how much sort of these guys can just destroy these teams and any goodwill. And how they don't use her, you know, Spike Lee's what, the team's second biggest star ever? Mm. It's like Ewing and then Spike Lee. (laughs) And how Dolan seems intent to just sort of light that relationship on fire for no clear reason. It's just, it is stunning all around that Spike Lee's even sort of the more sympathetic one here. It's kind of spectacular.
2: Yeah, at a point where... People are just on sports talk radio and in the newspaper begging Jim Dolan to just sell the team to anybody just because they want a better owner. It's it's incredible that it looks like Jim Dolan is trying to erase every aspect of the Knicks team that his father built. And I think... It has this very, like, Oedipal feel to it <laughs> that in order to be the man that Jim Dolan wants to be, he has to race the traces of the beloved New York Knicks team yeah. that his father built and loved so much.
1: Yeah. Or also that this, he has such this built-in paranoia at this point that everyone out there is again I mean, Everyone is out there to tear him down. That he's willing to scapegoat anyone necessary to try to start over fresh, whatever starting over fresh looks like. And... In the end, you know, it just only gets worse.
0: But it's this perpetual sort of starting over fresh. The perpetual savior who comes to the New York market doesn't pan out. This idea last year that the Knicks were going to get Zion Williamson in the draft and Kevin Durant in free agency never pans out. And they're sort of burning through like Spike Lee and Charles Oakley, the goodwill. So it is like this very sort of edible thing. You just have to destroy everything because maybe it'll work out for Dolan who knows what the logic here is yeah. uh but it is sort of stunning the goodwill that he has managed managed to go through basically from the 1980s and 1990s here for no clear reason
2: and just for the record like Madison Square Garden is still one of the most expensive tickets in yeah. professional basketball despite the fact that the Knicks have been awful right.
1: speaking of which the New York Knicks drew their smallest crowd at Madison Garden in the last 13 years following the Spike Lee incident their official attendance was at 1600 compared to the round 20, 1600? 16,000 oh, okay. I'm so sorry <laughs> you know you're always here to correct me whenever I need to. I it <laughs> Um, for the expected 20,000 people that fit inside the Garden, this is the lowest team attendance since December 13, 2006. So I guess if you piss off your number one fan, you piss off all the fans underneath them as well.
2: Yeah, and, and you go around Manhattan and in those bootleg t-shirt shops and everything, <laughs> yeah. what do you see? You see Brooklyn jerseys, yeah. not Knicks jerseys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of stunning, though. It's still
0: 16,000 people, as you said, to see the 13th place team with really no sort of big stars right yeah. now, anything like that. So it's kind of perpetuating Dolan's shittiness as an owner because you still have 16,000, where I'm sure most of these teams would be overjoyed to get that, right? Michael Jordan and the Hornets to get 16,000 people is an amazing day. Yeah. So to think about that. It would be interesting, though, I think you're right, about Brooklyn taking over because they're getting now big stars. Yes. They're getting the people like Kyrie who the Knicks thought were, they were going to get or Kevin Durant to see if that will change
2: anything. Maybe that's the way to get them to sell. And they're getting the highlights. Yeah. Right? You see the Knicks on – I mean the Nets on Center. Like their brand is ascending
1: mm-hmm. even
2: without Kyrie. Yeah. Right? I mean Jared Allen just standing in the paint blocking people has been, like, a <laughs> staple on Sports Center, Yeah. Right? I don't see anything with blue and orange on Sports Center yeah. ever.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you think it's fair to say kind of the Knicks have hung their hat on, you know, through all these years of just utter losing, just the pure strength of their brand as a franchise, being the team that plays in Madison Square Garden, is that kind of love and novelty of that, like, could that eventually ever run out? Uh,
2: the real estate right yeah. the, the whole thing with New York is is New York is driven by real estate and the Knicks had it and just like you find people moving to New York now who actually say I want to live in Brooklyn hmm. you know the Brooklyn Nets are becoming the New York team I mean a good friend of all of ours Bill Hoynes told me two years ago when both of his sons were living together in New York he was like they, they came out to me and told me dad we're both Nets fans <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's also –
0: it's the only, like, professional stadium in Manhattan. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. And they're still managed to screw this up. So you'd <laughs> have to go all the way out to Brooklyn. It, it's kind of stunning – How they've done this so badly when Brooklyn has managed to figure it out. Because also, too, they have a good team before the free agents came, right? They were a playoff team. They were doing sort of really well where the Knicks are just, why should Kevin Durant come there because it's New York City? But it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter anymore. The mecca of basketball can only do so much. And the idea that, like, Willis Reed is going to protect you for 40-some years, (laughs) you know, it's going to run out. But it has worked for this 40-some years, right? Bill Bradley – and Dave DeBuscher yeah. are like, still perpetuating this idea that the Knicks are a great
2: franchise,
0: mm-hmm. um, even though they
2: haven't been. And there's always this mythology that the league is better when certain teams are good. Yeah. So when Los Angeles is good, the right. league is better. And for years they said, you know, the reason why the Knicks need to turn this around is the league is better when the Knicks are good. Well, it's been 20 years. Right. And the league – Looks pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if the idea that the Knicks are always going to be relevant just because they're in New York and they're the Knicks, if that has been really washed away. Because the league is doing great without them.
1: Mm-hmm. It really depends on when we finally, you know, come to this realization, this turning point. The lore is there, but also the Knicks have been run off these series of delusions throughout their recent history. <laughs> the idea that Phil Jackson is going to draft Frank Nitalikina and suddenly run the triangle in the modern NBA offense. And the list just goes on and on of these lists of delusions and faith from their fandom. Getting Zion Williamson, as you mentioned earlier, signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie. That the hope just keeps going. And that's kind of what's keeping the ship afloat. But we're assuming that eventually we're all going to hang up our hats and be like, the NBA can be good without the Knicks being good.
0: But it's been like that, you know. Think about what happened with China. It shows how important the Rockets are. Yeah, it doesn't matter about sort of New York City. We had for a while sort of the Knicks have been terrible forever, but the Lakers were also down for a few years, and it doesn't matter. It just sort of perpetuates. People will go wherever the stars are, whether it's Golden State, whether it's Los Angeles or not. So this idea that the league needs certain teams. I mean, New York has just sort of completely blown that up. So it's this really sort of interesting shift here, and it's much bigger than the Knicks. I think it just—wherever the stars are. Milwaukee right now is sort of, you know, this team that's followed heavily when it's this tiny rinky-dink
2: town in sort of pro sports terms. Milwaukee? Who played—who got primetime last night? Dallas and New Orleans. Like, when did you ever think (laughs) that was going to happen, right? Yeah. So— I mean, with TV being what it is and the way that that uh, sports TV can take get the pulse of the fans really quickly and decide what, what game is going to be in primetime means that maybe it doesn't matter. It's just a star-driven league, yeah. and people want to see these young guys balling. They want to see the, the, the narrative matchups with like the Wiley veterans, the, the LeBron-Zion matchup mm-hmm. was the big one. Is this the heir apparent? Ja Morant yeah. is out there putting Memphis on the map. Like, we're seeing all sorts of things that I think we thought 10 years ago we'd never see. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But you know what also makes good sports television is drama. And that's what is also what's keeping this Knicks vote afloat is just that the pure, like... Interested in just from an anti-fandom perspective is I know something that you um, study the fact that like we can stay engaged with the team just through these series of dramatic incidents and almost like love them even more in the most twisted manipulative way possible, (laughs) just as you know like long-suffering New York City people, you know rough and tumble like hard to. You know, like, raising the streets, like, difficult, like, di- managing these kind of difficult situations is, like, part of, like, a lot of the bloodline of what New, York's, uh, New York Knicks fans, I think, imagine themselves as. But eventually, like, is, will that run out, too? Will we ever throw up our hands and just say enough?
0: But I, So I, I think you have to distinguish between different types of sports TV. Because yeah. one is the live games, right, where you have Dallas and Memphis the night before, and, or two nights before, it was Milwaukee and Indiana, Because those are sort of star-driven things. But you're talking about things like first take, right, and sort of the sports talk and the sports shouting shows as well. And then it just becomes like the schadenfreude. It is also important to note, I would say, that Spike Lee is kind of the Knicks' biggest star. So it is in this weird way sort of the star-driven Lee because he's at every game. He's very passionate about them. has never been shy to talk about them. So it is sort of like this weird – form of stardom just in his particular case and I think he's a big exception in that regard even mm. like Jack Nicholson you don't talk to him about the Lakers anymore yeah. so I think he's sort of this oddball so the schadenfreude is very fun because it's also a fun thing how New Yorkers want to present themselves as tough but the minute their team struggle they pull their hair out and they shriek and they whine and they complain Endlessly. Yeah, but also they're they the enjoy. Least they enjoy doing
1: that at the same
0: time. A right. Little bit. I, I think there is sort of like this joy. Either your team's really good or you're really miserable. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Like w- the 76ers in the process. So you know they're restarting it. Everyone gets to be super miserable. Watch like these thirteen and fifty teams. Yeah. You know.
1: But eventually, you're gonna want to be good again. In theory, yeah. I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like you eventually want to see a superstar on your team. You want to see you want to see the upset even if you're 13 and 50 but you, you know, you you beat the Celtics on your court, right. like that's what you live for. Yeah, it's not happening to the Knicks. Well, <laughs> it,
1: it's hard to win a championship when your best uh, star player, I guess, is five two and is not even in the game on the sidelines. <laughs> um, so, like, maybe let's talk about who the Knicks actually have, and if you were kind of thrown into this rotating GM seat or whatever weird positions they're adding on to their staff every day, left and right. Like, are there solutions here at this point?
0: Uh. <laughs> I, I mean, look, the Clippers turned it around, right? Yeah. For a long time, they were sort of at Nick's level or below them. They got rid of their owner. You know, Donald Sterling gets forced out for being racist. Steve Ballmer comes in with a lot of money and is able to turn around very, very quickly. But they start to build like a good core and then – uh not Kyrie, Kawhi and Paul George were willing to come. Same thing with Brooklyn. So you need like a decent
2: core. Well, the thing with the Clips, though, is that even when they dealt away their best players, Doc Rivers proved that you can just get 15 dudes to the last seat in the playoffs, right? You need a good coach that inspires yes. even your, you know, the guys who are your future six to 10 yeah. to go out there, play tough, and you know, win the odd game here and there. And, it's, I mean, I think that's what the Brooklyn Nets did. Yeah, they, they took, like, guys who would be backbenchers on most other rosters, and they got them into the playoffs because the coach got them to play yeah. well together. Well,
1: while keeping an open spot for a max contract well, player they, the next year.
2: They kept right. the cap down. They didn't overpay. Yep. They knew these guys were you sort of workhorse journeymen, but they ha- each of them had their own skills. They were a tough defensive team. Um... And they
0: made it work. And they took an undervalued player like D'Angelo Russell, who comes out the number two pick, sort of really struggled, and they found a place for him and developed him into an Mm all-star very quickly. And he was a max free agent signee as well. So they're able to take one player, turn him around, and have this good core where the Knicks just haven't been able to do any of that, mm-hmm. which is sort of remarkable,
1: yeah. and it kind of all comes down to you know as you guys are saying, just creating that appeal for the star player the next year. And I understand this may be a new, you know, management model, uh, a good example of how value, how viable management works in the NBA now. Given this kind of stain on the Knicks ownership, though, at the same time, even if they were to do that, like somehow turn Kevin Knox into a knockdown shooter, uh, starter, starter level type player, and develop all these other guys on their roster, Mitch Robinson becomes the second best shot blocker in the NBA and a perennial stopper, like, even if those things happened, is it enough?
0: No, because the sort of, you know, the top tier guys will get paid, but the ones behind them are always churning, right? They're always sort of changing. There's always games you're playing with the contract. So you need to know that you have the right people able to make these decisions. Even the Warriors, like, they had their core, but all those other guys did sort of change quite a bit. So you need very smart general managers and assistants, scouts, and so on. And I, I would imagine, you know, when you they pitched to somebody like Kevin Durant, or if they were able to, he'd say, what happens in year three when half the team has to leave or be cut, yeah. things like that? I don't necessarily trust you to figure it out. My guess is that Brooklyn
2: really sold this very clear long-term plan. Well, and the advantage that the Clips had is they had a very good coach, and Steve Ballmer decided that he had a guy with a ring on his finger who, who, you know, had— Won one championship and got to the championship and lost two years later and said, look, go be a coach. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder. Go be a coach. And, of course, then he had Doc was both the coach and the GM and did terribly there. But then when he went back to just being the coach, he got Patrick Beverly and 14 other dudes into the playoffs in the West.
1: Yeah. I think it just starts with having, like, people in your front office who have clearly defined roles of what they're doing. Like, I guess D- David Blatt kind of sits in the New York press box and talks to their, talk shop with the owners for a little bit. Phil Jackson had at least 25 jobs on his mass contract when he was there. Um, so there's really just isn't that clear leadership and... Going, going off that, like how much of the onus then is on the actual owner on James Dolan? How much is he really to blame? He's fun to point fingers at. He's clearly a hothead in many different ways. But is he truly the source of the problem?
0: No, but he doesn't help because think about this. If you're a free agent and you sign with New York, do you want to answer questions about Charles Oakley and Spike Lee? It doesn't necessarily directly relate to what's on the field uh, – on the court – but it becomes something you have to talk about. becomes a sense of embarrassment. Why deal with it? You're going to get paid the same wherever you go. Yeah. So the city of New York maybe is not that big of a deal anymore in terms of marketing and sales. And all you have is sort of this embarrassing ownership. So why bother? Go across the river. Go to Brooklyn and you'll be fine. So I, I think it hurts
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, because that's the story, that Dolan is an idiot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's a, it's a culture thing. Yeah. Right? Dolan – creates the culture of the team that he owns. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at Steve Ballmer, like the dude loves basketball. He's willing to spend money on basketball. He wants everybody who comes to his stadium, and it is his stadium, to have a good experience. He wants people to love the game. Yeah. And I think it comes through. And I think people are enjoying going to Clippers games. Clip- the Clippers are fun to watch. You know, and they're doing the stuff with the uniforms and they're changing the floor yeah. and all the all of these things That show attention to detail. And I don't think Steve Ballmer designed the uniforms of the floor or anything. But he let people make decisions that were going to make the fan experience better, that were going to make the player experience better, that were going to make the employee experience better. And again, I'll go back to this. He got a coach that's a good coach. Paid him good money. And he lets him do his job. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. He, they find talented people and just are hands off. Because
0: Dolan used to have all these stories of him sort of interfering and getting involved in places that he shouldn't. It, you know, it could be sort of scouting, but it could also be stuff like uniforms and courts, yeah. stuff like that.
1: I mean, if the Spike Lee incident shows anything, it shows how much James Dolan isn't willing to let go of control. Right. Even though the amount of efforts he might put in to look like he actually is. Yeah. The fact that like he has this ownership over the tire garden where he's like, I don't like you. Get out. Right. <laughs> that doesn't build good culture. No.
0: But it's also true then Spike Lee is sort of, you know, ranting and raving in the press, and they start sort of contradicting him right away. Mm-hmm. So there's no real winners here where Spike Lee is going to be somewhat embarrassed and you know doesn't look good either. So what's he gonna do? Is he just gonna come crawling back? Almost certainly not. You know, Spike Lee has his own sort of you know opinions and attitudes too. So just alienating Spike Lee in the future because his team has to sort of clean up for Dolan yeah. as well. It's a very, like, Trumpian way of doing business.
1: And also, um, I don't know if he had this foresight or was even considering it, like, kind of giving the middle finger to Spike Lee. He gives a middle finger to your entire fan base at the exact same right. time.
2: Yeah, in a time when the young fan base is going to Brooklyn. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> right? Get yeah. young people excited. I mean, that's the thing about the Knicks. They're a young team. Right, get young people excited about being able to kind of grow up with a team like with Kobe Bryant, right? So many people who are our age were talking about they grew up with Kobe Bryant, right? So you got these a, a, one of the youngest rosters in the game. Right. Now is the time where like you've got to appeal to younger people, but kicking Spike Lee out is not the way to do that because <laughs> like, look, Spike Lee was just putting out films that people want to see. Like, it's nice to have that kind of star power to get people excited, not just about the team, but about a reason to go to the garden instead of just watching on TV. Yeah. It's also important, too, Like Spike Lee's sort of in the public eye more than he
0: has been in a long time. Yeah. You know, his films have been sort of very critically successful and popular, much more so than it's been for a number of years. So kicking him to the curb right now is sort of doubly problematic in the sense you were saying.
1: Mm-hmm. You're killing all your star power for no reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of kind of just the ways you know teams can go about turning around the ship, we talked about you know like lucking your way into valuable assets, getting good players and pieces and trades that you can build around with a superstar, leaving room for the max contract. The Knicks kind of, you know, throughout their history have gone big splashy contracts, overpaid guys, you know, just to be good is kind of the perpetual narrative of teams in New York City that has, you know, worked pretty successfully up in the Bronx for someone like the Yankees. Maybe not so much for the Knicks and they've kind of, you know, optically flipped a switch on that and have gone to the model, let's just like draft really well, you know, gain up draft assets and develop these players. But the problem is now this development is not happening for any of these guys on their roster. Why do you think that is?
0: Maybe they don't get complimentary pieces. And I think it is important. Like the Bucs, yeah. they got very lucky with drafting Giannis, right? It's a stroke of sort of luck. But you still have to have a bunch of guys around him. You know, they have Brogdon for a while. They have you know, people like Chris Middleton that they traded for. You can't really have sort of one-person teams. Maybe LeBron, maybe. But mm-hmm. he left Cleveland when he couldn't sort of yeah. do it all himself. And he's a generational talent, historic talent. So I, I think this is part of it. They're just sort of going for, like, the home run draft pick and it's not working out. Um, and they're just not able to get, like, these middle-of-the-road guys who are good, but you can get sort of cheaply and for a number of years.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think RJ Barrett is probably a big example of you know swinging again for the fences right. and investing too much energy into a guy who just frankly is not ready. Right. They're doing a lot right now, kind of just to run the fru- run the offense through him, you know, give him space. He needs the ball in his hands, but you're just setting him up for failure if you don't put the guys around him too at the same time.
2: Didn't they flip coaches like three times in the last five years? Yes. Something like yeah. That, yeah. So I think that's part of it too. You need a stable coach who is going to be there who's going to be able to get guys and develop them. Part of developing them is having a coach with a vision right. who can then hire your assistant coaches and your specialists who understand the vision but can be big man specialists, point guard specialists, whatever, right. to help these guys develop. Yeah. And if you don't have a stable coach, you don't have a stable coaching staff, and that part of player development gets stunted.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phil Jackson's a great example of that. Again, sort of like the most famous coach in the sport at that time who was sort of retired and a bit checked out, that they paid him whatever he wanted and gave him a ton of money and it just really didn't work out because they wanted the name. And, you know, the investment by Jackson didn't seem to sort yeah, of be there. He the didn't optics. leave them Yeah. They didn't sort of leave him a good position. He was a star. He was the Spike Lee, but he was supposed to run everything yeah. there. And it just didn't work out. Yeah, obviously. both at the
1: same time. Exactly, sometimes. Right. But the question is, like, is being head coach of the New York Knicks, is that an attractive job anymore?
0: It depends who you're asking, right? A a job in the NBA, it's an inherently limited thing. I
1: mean, i take it for sure.
0: Right. I think there's a lot of people who would, but would you get very good coaches? Um, I think when they brought in, like, Fisdale, supposed to be someone who was really able to sort of do a lot there and sort of help them. Be good in the media. Right. Um, So I I don't—you can't get, like, the top-tier guys— but it doesn't always work out. Like, who did the Lakers get? They got Frank Vogel, right? And it was like, eh. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh,
2: Mark Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good choice. But. Because the thing about Mark Jackson is, like, because he's in the booth right now, his coaching call is probably going to be a little bit lower. He's, I would say he's an undervalued asset. Yeah, He's former Nick. Like, people, the public loves him. Right. And I think given what he did with Golden State, I would have faith in Mark Jackson, but you got to give him, you know, do give him space. Yeah, well, do what they did in Oakland, man. Give him a ten-year contract, (laughs) you know, and say, hey, look, we we believe in you. Yeah, go ahead and do what we believe you can do. And I believe Mark Jackson loves that team so much that he would not pull uh, Phil Jackson and kind of go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Like I believe that he would work that team until they. Got to a good place.
0: Yeah, it's kind of surprising that they haven't pegged him yet because he is one of the best Knicks around,
2: yeah.
0: um, and people do really like him. And he did well with Golden State. He got sort of, you know, kicked to the curb at the wrong time, and yeah. Steve Kerr hit it right at yeah. the sort of correct wave but they just haven't for whatever reason.
1: But at the same time, like, the Knicks are also balancing the pitfalls of bringing in a notable or celebrity coach. He would be that, I think, just based on his public presence. And, you know, with that comes a lot of expectations and comes very frequent burnout from what we've seen from other notable names they've brought into kind of their more managerial positions. Right.
0: If he starts fighting with Dolan, you know, Mark Jackson's going to lose and the fans are going to take Jackson's
2: side. Yeah, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why Dolan's not bringing him in. Because Mark Jackson would become the face of the franchise if he were the coach. He'd be, it's the prodigal son story, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah.
1: And in New York City, you know, like when there's smoke, there's fire, and there's always a story. And this kind of drama just perpetuates itself because you have 100 reporters, you know, at every corner you turn. Um, So how much do you think kind of this, you know, giant Knicks dumpster fire, like how much fuel is being put on that by kind of the strength of the New York media and the representation that they have?
0: So I I think we sort of disagree on this. I I think the importance of the New York media and sort of like the spotlight that it puts on players is a bit exaggerated Mm -hmm. because I think you do have players like Derek Jeter who obviously managed to survive it and thrive for two decades or whatever it is. Um, And people like Eli Manning, right, who did it fine for what, a decade and a half, something like that. I think the New York media really thinks highly of itself and wants to give itself a ton of power. And so it'll say it can make or break a career. The spotlight can destroy people, right? I I think that might be a bit
2: of self-mythologizing, but I do think the media concentration in New York City is very high, and so you have a bunch of beat reporters that are looking for a story, and they're going to hound you. And you do need to learn how to deal with the media. I think it's an important thing, and I think that's part of player development. That maybe the Knicks are not doing well. You're just throwing these young guys to the wolves and it's it makes that it makes for a difficult existence. Yeah.
1: I mean maybe the deep state of New York media that we all kind of <laughs> conjure up in our mind doesn't exist but its psychological impact is very obvious based on the amount of players who have kind of, you know, fizzled out under that perceived pressure.
2: Well, the other half of that is that so many people in the media are connected to New York. Yes. Right. I mean think about how many personalities on ESPN are Knicks fans. Yeah. And so, of course, whenever there's an inkling of a story, they want to talk about it because that's what they're reading about anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that ups the pressure because any little thing that happens is going to become a story on ESPN or on The Fan or... In the Times or in the Post or something like that.
0: I think when players, young players especially, start to struggle, the teams don't necessarily do a good enough job of sort of stopping the bleeding. Um, We talk about Mark Sanchez, right, with Mm -hmm. the Jets, who started out incredibly hot, incredibly successful. The team starts to sort of tail off a bit. He has the butt fumble. (laughs) And it just sort of perpetuates itself that he's this giant disaster, always has been, where the team didn't really sort of protect him perhaps as much as they should have. Um, but Dolan has had fights with media before too and he clearly doesn't know how to manage them either. So this is another sort of interesting thing for a guy like R.J. Barrett, um, how the media will sort of treat him and can the Knicks do much
1: about it? Yeah. Who can, knows? Can you develop someone like R.J. Barrett under this circumstance in New York City though?
2: Probably. <laughs> I mean I want to believe that it's possible. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like with good coaching – Both media coaching and you know athletic coaching, you can develop any of these guys who clearly are superior athletes. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, one to fifteen on an NBA roster is a superior athlete. Develop them, find a space for them, design uh, a system with them in mind. You can do that. You just have to be dedicated to it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know you're looking for these guys to eventually have a breakthrough. And, you know, when there's a breakthrough, there's going to be an even larger spotlight, too, which I think may be part of the problem. And I think the perfect example of that would be something like insanity. The most hope the New York Knicks have had in the last 15 years was, you know, this little guy from Harvard coming and spinning around Kobe and putting a good, a good string of seven games together. And the amount of pressure probably put on his career just after that kind of firestorm of play. Like, you can say at this point safely that, was almost burned him out and was kind of the cornerstone of his career but he moving forward said after that. that. I is don't know big, if he'd admit to that, but I think it's, you know, he's playing in China right now, which probably says a lot. A big part of it too was
0: like these narratives about the fight between him and Melo, where mm-hmm. Mello was sort of jealous of all the attention yeah. that Jeremy Lin was getting for like three weeks. Um, but again, like is this why his career sort of fizzled out, thought or did teams figure out how to play this guy? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a combination of both. Um, so it's a really sort of interesting question because somebody like Mello did do okay with the New York media for a long time yeah. Um, but I think the New York media says no no we destroyed Jeremy Lin we're well, like Maybe, but it was also probably, like, other teams figuring
2: out what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once there's tape on you, it right. becomes easier to game plan. Right,
0: And he did have a decent career after that, right? Yeah. He was with, like, Toronto, and he bounced around. Yeah. Was it, with the Hornets, too? He won a championship, a, I guess? Championship yeah. With yeah. the yeah. Raptors, man. Yeah. So he, it wasn't sort of, like, two weeks after Linsanity, he's... Overseas, he did sort of bounce yeah. around for a while.
1: Yeah, but his hair did get blown up in the media. <laughs> Totally. I think it just goes to show how intense the narratization of all these stories in New York sports really goes. And another interesting example is kind of just redemption story for Mello happening right now amongst New York City fans. I remember back when he was on the team and we weren't winning, everyone was like, this guy hogs the ball, he takes up too much space, he's not a team player, he can never win a championship. And now everyone's like, Oh, like let's get Mello back. The Mello highlights are kind of the only source of hope for New York Knicks fans at this point. So it's just perpetual situation of we don't really appreciate what we have until it doesn't exist anymore.
0: But Mello is such a great example of how that team is mis- mismanaged. Yeah, you know he's with the Nuggets and wants to come to New York. So what do the Knicks do? They trade <laughs> half their team to get him
1: when they could have signed him that offseason.
0: Right, they could yeah. have waited three months and got him instead. They get was like Danilo Gallinari. Bunch of other players. So they give away this stuff. So he's like the lone person there and he couldn't carry this team and struggled and, you know, his worst instincts got exaggerated. So that's why, like, you have a guy who literally wants to go to the city, <laughs> wants to play for this team. And you're so impatient that you just screw it up for the next – how long it was it? Five years or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So they just shoot themselves in the foot when they have like this little, little, little glimmer of hope and a yeah. big star who wants to be there, they still screw it up.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is just false hope, right? Whether you're in right. the front office or you're in, you know, you're a fan of the team, is this like jumping ahead of the gun and not thinking these things all the way through? Right.
2: And, and this is why the Knicks will never be Philadelphia. Right? Philadelphia had how many terrible seasons? Like and four at least, four right? Four, they drafted Jaleel Okafor as number <laughs> one. You know, all of these moves that were terrible. Yeah. In a way that the Knicks are such a win-now team yeah. that they could not have done what Philly did. And I think Philly being like a, you know, whatever, 15-and-60 team is different from the Knicks being a 15-and-60 team. Yeah. And I think that...
1: You can only do it for so long.
2: Yeah.
0: But I don't know because they're so bad right now. And they still sell, you know, 16,000 yeah. seats out of 20,000. Of any team, it seems like, who could do this, it's the Knicks. Yeah, no, I, I don't think James Dolan is built right. for 15, that, that's 16. It, yeah. <laughs> um, but but that's sort of what's amazing, that they yeah. do everything they can to scratch out these wins when you're like, No, 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 just lose. It was Zion. You had it was sort of Zion and John ja Moran. One mm-hmm. of those two guys. So what do the Knicks do? They win just enough, basically, to land in the third spot. Yeah. And there's <laughs> there's a big drop off. I'm sure R.J. Barrett's good, but like there is a big drop off between those point. two. Yeah. Because he couldn't just say, We're gonna throw this season. Um, obviously not publicly, but they couldn't sort of just say, Look Lose as much as you can because of this. Because he's worried. I don't even think it's about money. It's about ego. After Spike Lee, they had 80% capacity, as you were saying. And it's still the worst one in, what, 13 years. Mm -hmm. You can take a season or two off.
1: Yeah. Let's speculate for a second and dive into some more false hope. Like, if Zion Williamson was on the Knicks right now instead of RJ Barrett and all these things were still happening around it, would the situation be even worse? For who? <laughs> For I guess any party involved.
2: I feel like you'd have Zion scoring like 25 points a night and losing <laughs> the same way that Anthony Davis was doing yeah. down in uh, New Orleans.
0: Yeah, it, Blake Griffin.
2: Yeah, yeah. It would be that same situation where he'd be balling out and they would still be losing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hate to I, hear it. The waste of, like, the potential, right? The sort of mellow thing all over again. You have the superstar, all this potential, yeah. and he'll dunk. He'll give you a couple good highlights, but, again, sort of not what he actually can be. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there needs to be this, like, conclusion of this equivocation between potential on your and to actual hope. Right. Because when Knicks fans and also the front offices continues through this understanding of false hope, they're not doing anything practically. And it's just keeping this kind of ship of delusions continuously... Moving forward, so when's the time where Knicks fans and just everyone involved and there's some collective action and we just say, we're terrible, like, we need to drop everything and change? When are we not thinking about who we're signing in 2022 and thinking about how we're just admitting, like, exactly where we are at the moment? Does that ever happen for anyone?
0: No. No. (laughs) Unless a team moves, right? Then you just sort of stick with it. Yeah. Um, You were saying, you know, New York fans are tough. I think New York fans like being miserable. (laughs) Um, and, And this is sort of like the perpetuation of this. You, you could easily jump to Brooklyn, right? Sort of like the easiest move you could possibly make because there's not like this standing rivalry anyways between the Nets and the Knicks. So people could easily sort of jump, but I don't know if it has really happened that yeah, way.
1: totally. And maybe let's like think revolutionary. Like c- is collective fan action, like if there was like a giant boycott of Knicks games, if that would ever happen or the league intervenes, you know, could it get to that point potentially or are we seeing the worst of it right now? A dot, two head nods in the wrong yeah. direction. Yeah. See, I'm just I'm just kind of pu- pulling for things of any more false hope, as I said before. The
2: league is never going to intervene. Yeah, and if we learned anything from the Detroit Lions in the eighty or in in the early two thousands, you can not sell enough tickets that you got to black out a game, and the league is never going to intervene to make you sell a team. Right? Yeah,
0: remember, even with Donald Sterling, it wasn't like this easy thing where everyone's like, "Yeah, he has to sell it right now." The, some of the owners were fighting it. Um, they were not happy about this. the idea that the commissioner can force a sale. James Dolan has not done anything to that extent. He's an idiot and an asshole, but he hasn't sort of done stuff that would get the league to intervene. I would also add that the money from the NBA comes from such a tiny fraction from the lie of attendance. Even at somewhere super expensive like the Garden, it's the TV revenue. So that's sort of the big thing as well. Yeah. And with these national contracts
2: – ESPN just goes to, you know, all the other teams. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the thing um, about about Jim Dolan having low attendance, though, is the people that get hurt are the vendors.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the vendors are paying an exorbitant amount of money to have a stall at a Knicks game. And when yeah. Jim Dolan messes up and people don't go, it's those people whose bottom line gets yeah. hurt.
1: But yeah. also he doesn't care, you know? Well, that's the thing. Is when that you're, that he, he doesn't yeah. care.
2: And that's the thing, is that, like, he's not doing the kind of work that, benefits his employees yeah, totally. on any yeah. level. Yeah. That goes from the vendors all the way to the coaching staff and the players, right? Nothing he's doing is benefiting his employees. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things nowadays, you know, you
0: have these owners who are like except like these huge billionaires worth so much money. So the team itself doesn't matter that much. It's about sort of how much they can get when they sell. Something yeah. like that. Like Steve Ballmer, nothing you could do will affect his sort of bottom yeah. line. So it's whether he wants a team or not. Same with Dolan. He's worth so much money. The performance of these teams clearly doesn't matter.
1: And under this like intense system of sports capitalism and also just like the growing wealth equality in this country kind of they speak more in broader brushes. Like once you have a certain amount of money, you're untouchable, right? Your ego is untouchable no matter how hard anyone could try to kind of penetrate through.
2: Yeah. I mean Jim Dolan literally has fuck you money. I was going to say, he's a Mike Bloomberg of sports art. Just drop half a billion dollars back. Nope, didn't work. All right.
0: Doesn't matter. He's that guy. Um, It it just doesn't matter to them. And I actually don't think Dolan is actually that exceptional within sports anymore, that they're all worth so much money that there's nothing you can do to force him to sell. If he wants to be an idiot and just run his team into the ground – Fans have to live with it. They have to go somewhere else. Yeah. Spike Lee becomes a Brooklyn Nets fan. That will make a difference, perhaps,
1: but I don't even think that'll yeah. matter. That's a storyline for next week, maybe.
0: <laughs>
1: well, for now, um, do you guys want to leave the show with any source of good sports news at all off the top of your head? Anything you're excited yeah. about that's not the New York Knicks? Jason Tatum is balling.
2: <laughs> balling.
1: Yes. Tell me about that, JT. <laughs> hey, look. Man. Ma- made me smile for a second.
2: Hey. You know, beginning of the season, it was a little bit shaky, right? You're wondering about a team with a bunch of really good number two and three options coming together. But, man, Jason Tatum has arrived. He looks great. Marcus Smart looks great. Um, Jalen Brown is still dealing with some inconsistency, but, like, he's still a monster on defense, and he is, if you don't guard him right, he will burn you. Um, I'm sad about Al Horford, but Thies <laughs> is playing really well. Like, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Gordon Hayward. Yeah, Gordon Hayward, I think that injury, it took a while for it to come back. But, man, he looks good. Like that team, really well coached. They all seem to know how to play together. It's a fun team it's, that you can really sort of root for. Yeah, they're very, very fun to watch. Yeah. You know, Kemba. They got Kemba. Kemba's <sighs> great. Yeah, I mean he's been hurt for the last for the last little bit, but Kemba's Well,
0: it's a good sign that you can sort of forget about him and leave him to laugh, yeah. yeah, right? One of the funnest and most like dynamic well, players and you're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: he's well, there too." This is the thing about Kevin Durant when he got when he had the bone bruise and he had to rest. Like the best part about that is that like they yeah. didn't have to rush him back. Right? Because they were winning without him and they were just going to get that much better when he came back. And I think what Kemba you do have the, hey, look, Marcus Smart loves getting the minutes. He's playing really well. Go ahead and play him until Kemba is 110%. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the playoffs, yeah, you get back. Because everyone's like, oh, the team is going to be out of rhythm without right. Kemba. I don't think so. I think that team is really hitting stride right now in a good way. And you totally.
0: let the young guys, too, have sort of meaningful minutes mm-hmm. with sort of the team. And, and that's what's
1: sort of important, too, yeah. Any any big other big sports stories that you're happy about? Sir,
0: I was going to say the greatest contract ever signed in sports. The Brewers got Christian Yelich for nine more years. Hey. This never happens to small market teams. I'm so happy. It's half the money that Mike Trout got. It's actually sort of a, a good contract. It's weird to be happy about baseball contracts, but I actually <laughs> am.
1: Well, congratulations <laughs> to you. I'm sure that will help fill the Giannis size hole in your heart too, summers from now.
0: Oh yeah. Hey, Giannis is going. But for right now, the state of Wisconsin is Aaron Rodgers, Christian Yelich, and Giannis. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You gotta have a beer of all of them at some point. Soon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'm just happy that Marcus Morris, my favorite Nick from this year, I, this is the point of the show where I admit that I'm a sad Knicks fan as well. <laughs> um, is getting the chase a championship now as part of this narrative? I would love to see him just be very successful somewhere else, which is a sad thing for me to say as an actual Knicks fan.
2: Yeah, I got love for Marcus Morris. The <laughs> new thing was him being the adult in the room for the Celtics last year. That was totally bizarre. (laughs) But, like, hey, like, Marcus Morris has grown up a ton from the dude that was having fistfights at Kansas. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it happens, man. Like, and so, yeah, I like Marcus Morris, and I do want him to be successful. I like
0: the fact that there's, like, multiple sets of twins in the league, (laughs) like, being successful. Like, the Lopez brothers are awesome. I mean, they're both with the Bucks now. But, like, how Robin has, like, transformed his game to, like— a three-point shooter. He's seven feet tall. Yeah. And he's also like a, an amazing weirdo. Mm-hmm. Like this huge comic book fan, like this sort of, yeah. you know, into nerd culture. It's awesome. Um, the sort of weirdness of just twins yeah. dominating
1: basketball. Well, big shout-out to Marcus Morris. Big shout-out to all the twins out there <laughs> yeah. playing professional sports. Big shout-out to Professor Alex Cuffer and Professor Justin Patch. You've been listening to another edition of Liberal Arts Sports Talk. Sports Talk in the place you least expect it. My name is Mac Liederman, contributing editor for the Miscellaneous News, and we'll sign off here today. Thank you, guys.
0: Steps up